Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join today. He's an entrepreneur. It's Jason Coffer. And how are you doing today, Jason? I'm good. How about you? Doing so good. We are so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what you like doing growing up. Um, Sarasota, Florida, born and raised. Um, I'm one of the very few here. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people aren't from Florida <laughs> in general. Um, I would have to say growing up fishing, fishing. I mean, that's, that's all I did. Um, I left the date at the prom to go fish. I, uh, <laughs> I left the date at homecoming to go fish. I've, I've skipped basketball games to go fish and I'm literally on the team. Um, I mean, yeah, it would, it would have to be fishing and, uh, yeah, fishing and being around, uh, animals, dogs. I've always been a big uh, dog person. So yeah, as far as growing up, a lot of fishing, my father was a fisherman, so he definitely got me started. Um, fishing was kind of like a growing pain, I guess you would call it. He was a, he was a nice person, but he was hard, like. If you wanted to do something, you were going to do it at the top level. Mm -hmm. Like I remember being five years old and his first jewelry store was on the water and he would like literally give me a fishing rod and one hook and like that had to last for the day. And, and he worked like an eight hour, 10 hour day. So like I had to learn to like at that age, like if I lost the hook, that was it. I mean, I just sat in a jewelry store all day. You know, I mean, so I was taught. I was taught the hard way how to fish. Do you, so, think, do you think having that bond of fishing with your dad kind of helped grow that bond? Or may, you talked about the challenges he gave you. Did it kind of, kind of. No, I, I would, I would say it grew it because I didn't know any different. You know, I didn't compare it to, you know, at five years old, you're not calling your friend and going, well, how did your dad teach you how to fish? You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's what I knew. I mean, he literally bought me a bucket of shrimp. I had one dozen and that had to last the last the day. And sometimes I would knock the bucket over and they'd all go in the water. The day's over. Oh. Um, you know, years later, I would learn to chop up the shrimp and catch little bigger fish and put one out for bait. I mean, I got so good at it. I've, I've now, I lived in Costa Rica and Panama for 11 years. I've traveled all over the world fishing. I have an inshore and an offshore unofficial world record because I didn't kill the fish and send them in for the records. Didn't care about that. Um, so, yeah, it led to a great life. And there's there's probably on that side of it, no negative. I, I wouldn't see a negative. I mean, a childhood of a, of a you know, a guy or a girl that wanted to be outdoors, to get the fish their whole youth. I mean, there's, there's no negative. <laughs> what was the type of fish you were catching at a young age or just starting out? Um, it would be inshore fish here on the west coast of Florida. So it'd be snook, redfish, trout, tarpon, stuff like that. Game game fish is what they call it. Did you yeah. like having those signature spots when you went fishing? Like the ones that you kind of know the area? Or did you kind of like the challenge and see what areas I could try out and things like that? Um, I liked exploring a lot more. That's probably what got me around the world. Um, I tried the tournament stuff for a while here in town, and that was kind of bogus and political. So I got out of that. And I think, I think going to a new area and trying to outdo everybody and impress my customers. And, you know, once social media came out that, that ego grew too, of course, like everybody. Um, yeah. I, I would say venturing out because 
if I hadn't had that will to go try new spots, I wouldn't have gotten anywhere. And then I think that led me to a lot of jobs. Like a lot of people have hired me around the world. I've been to Australia. I've been to the Bahamas, pretty much every island. Uh, I've been to El Salvador, Nicaragua. I've been to Fiji, Australia. And I think those guys that hired me, uh, they knew I could go over there. And, you know, once they showed me what was going on, I could I could do my thing. During and the- so help with that, too, because they wouldn't have known who I was. Oh, yeah. And it was a, basically a way of networking, which you got oh, all those opportunities. I mean, people would probably listen to this would love the opportunity to travel all to those destinations and have the opportunity to do what they love, but as a career way also. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got paid to be there. Yeah. So, yeah, big, big deal with that. Um, I did it for about 11 years um, and it all pretty much kind of not really downhill. I just knew I had to call it an end about 2017 come home and run the family business it was a, it was a great run from five years old <laughs> <laughs> you talked about earlier about things that you did in your teenage years where leaving a prom date to go fishing do you feel that fishing was an escape for you where it was kind of like your sanctuary or did it hurt kind of having that other passions and finding those other things or interacting with people and things like that no, I think you nailed it when you when you said it was a first at first uh, like an escape because it was not only an escape for me the guys I fished with kind of felt the same way or they wouldn't have been there you know what I mean like they like there were certain people like hey let's let's go on this day and those were the only ones that would say yes you know what I mean and sometimes it was on my own and sometimes they went on their own you know so I think it was a it was an escape for myself but it was good to be there with people that felt the same way, you know, like, let's just get out there and go. It doesn't matter if it's noon or nighttime or just a go. Oh, oh no, we didn't catch anything today. Yeah. See you tomorrow. That kind of thing. Yeah. You talked about the, how your family had the jewelry business and where you are today with it. Was that always a plan to start working within the family business or did you go to and get an education, find a new route that you wanted to go? Well, I went to college, but I wouldn't call it an education. Uh, <laughs> didn't, yeah, didn't, uh, didn't finish. Um, no, I would say absolutely not with the jewelry. I definitely wanted to do my own thing. And I think, uh, I think definitely uh, fishing was, was the route I wanted to do either to do a TV show or write for, you know, write magazine articles for companies. Cause I only, I literally only got into the, jewelry because my father passed in 2003 and I was still doing my thing. But in 2017 to take over, that wouldn't have been an option for me because that was his passion. You know, I might've worked there, you know, I may be, I may be have come one of the jewelers. Uh, I may have taken it over, you know, he, he had done it his whole life. So who, who knows, but uh, I don't see it as what I would have done if he was alive. You talked about not finishing college. What was the next step after that? Were you going into the workforce or what path were you taking? Well, I, I left college because of fishing. So, um, yeah, I um, I was up in Tennessee uh, in the Chattanooga area and I found a river and that was it. There was no more class. It was I had a 730 class and it was instead of 730 class, it was a 730 river. You know, <laughs> so um I, I think I, I was trying, that was the beginning of school when I got out. I, I was taking, 
I was going to take your basic stuff. Like I was going to take maybe going to economics or, or mm-hmm. business, you know, something to, something to keep it open. I didn't, I didn't have a specialty, maybe marine biology. I think that was a big one, but I didn't want to do that. Cause you can always do that later with a business degree, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I think I was keeping my options open with the, the business thing. Cause I still wanted to be the fisherman. So I think that would have helped with that. I could run my own business, you know, be my own CEO and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Before the networking opportunities, was it ever nerve wracking thinking about how would I make money as a fisherman? Did you kind of think about where is the best game plan, but I can do both at the same time, make money, provide a living, but also still enjoy something that I love doing? Um, I think with the magazine articles, I think if I would have got, you know how writers start out, they start sending for free. You know, they send magazines to different companies and stuff and they get published. And I've had about eight published. So I was on my way, especially with the destinations. You know, that really helps. Um, I think I think that would have led to something if I would have kept doing it, because I only did that for like four years and I already landed eight articles and I did three TV shows as well. So I think that was that was all free. I wasn't getting paid, but definitely when you're down that alley, I think it was coming. And then the charter side was definitely the business. Um, I wanted to run my own boat and have multiple boats running. So there's your money side. And then the passion would have been running my own boat, running the art, uh, reading, writing the articles. How was the chartering business aspect? What did you enjoy about that? Um, I'd say the biggest thing I enjoyed is um, I never did charters in the States. I did them all in Costa Rica for that 11 years. Um, I think it was just getting down there and preparing for every day and um, just getting the guests out there. They had no clue what was in store for them, you know, because we're after, excuse me, we're after marlin and tuna and, you know, the things they didn't know, like if something went wrong, there was nobody to help you, you know, I mean, put it this way, the Coast Guard down in my part of Costa Rica, they borrowed charter boats to go rescue you. Yeah, they didn't have their own boat. <laughs> so, yeah, they had to hop on other people's boats. So I was in a very rural area at the time. Um, so I think it was just that vision of, I guess, a vision of responsibility, you know, getting them out and getting them back and having that fun day and then seeing them post the pictures of of your catch, knowing, yeah, I did that. I was part of that kind of thing. Uh, I think that was the big passion of it. And then I just loved what I did. So. What would you say is the most challenging part about chartering and having that kind of business? hundred uh, percent being in, in, a, in Central America. Um, you could drive, to, put it this way, you could drive to the fuel station and they're just out of fuel. Wow. Yeah, they just don't have it that day. Or a fuel truck that's coming to fill everybody's boat just doesn't show up because the guy got drunk the night before. Oh. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, I have flown all the way home to Florida just to get a boat part that was 50 bucks because it just wasn't going to get here because my mother or a friend shipped it to me three times and somebody stole it in customs. So I had to fly all the way home to get it. Uh, Just the challenges of being down there. hundred percent that the fishing was easy. (laughs) That's that's what I do. I don't, I'm not used to flying home just for a boat part, you know? I love how you say the fishing is easy for me. If it was fishing, I grew my grandfather loved fishing and I just was horrible at it. I would either get the hook stuck on my finger or like start bleeding, not yeah. catch anything. 
But to me, you talked about how it was a sanctuary for you, but I am now more of a water guy. So you being on the water, that's your home. That is something you enjoy doing. But I feel that a lot of people listening, they probably remember those times where family, them fishing and how you turned it to where you are today with it as a career. Looking at all the different areas you got to visit or work in, which place was your favorite of all time? 100% Fiji. Oh. Yeah. Um, I I knew the, the gentleman down there that runs a resort. His name's Mike Hennessy. He's a world-renowned fisherman. He was a good friend of mine. So I knew once he invited me, that that part of it was, you know, we were good there. Uh, the people down there are amazing. Um, they're uh yeah, Fijians, they're 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 Samoan, they're Indian, and then there's Fijian down there. Um, and they're just super nice people, super laid back. Um, I can't believe how much they love their rugby. It's uh you think the English like their soccer, the the Fijians like their rugby. Like the whole country shuts down for like a local game. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, it was it was truly awesome. Um I think the responsibility of that job was pretty awesome because what I did was he basically handed me the keys to the boat and my job was to go catch fish for the resort. So mm-hmm. I was like the hero at dinner time. You know, I brought home dinner every night. So yeah, I, I would say Fiji and just being down there and being on a little island. And I lived on an island in Panama. So like I, I fit right in. Yeah, definitely Fiji. When you're catching fish for the resort, was there an expectation of how many fishes you had to catch or how many pounds of fish you had to catch? Not not really, because mostly, I mean, it was like a five-star resort. It was small, but it was it was a five-star resort. So they were prepared for no fish. Mostly what happened was I brought like appetizers. Like I was the bonus. I got in. You're not allowed to be out there at night with, mm-hmm. on a boat. Um, so um, I got in about evening time and, you know, in sunset and they had this little bar at the end of the island where everybody hung out. And I guess it was that. And if you narrow it down, that would even be my most fun, if you can say it that way, most fun part of even being down there is getting in in the evening and having a beer with everybody and telling them about the day. So there was no, there was no like quota. What's it? Did fishing ever bring any like challenges or injuries to you? Anything? Did it kind of take a personal hit on you at all? Uh, I'd say mentally the the people in the tournaments here, they were so corrupt. A lot of people cheating, you know, made me hate it a lot. Um, Yeah, definitely. And I could use the word hate because there would be guys, you know, sponsored and stuff and they had to make their money. So you knew they were, you know, you know, they were, they were breaking the purity of it. You know, it took the pureness away from it. So it was good to get away from that and travel. Um, injuries. I was stabbed by a Marlin that jumped halfway in the boat. Uh, oh. He got me in the side of the leg. I've fallen out of the tower of the boat and about broke my leg and my rib. Um, I was not struck by lightning, but it was so close to me that it burnt all the hair on my body. I literally remember the movie Powder. That was a guy that was bald head. It was a it was an older movie. He was, it, it was called Powder. He was pure white. He was made of energy. But anyways, he was pure bald, and that's what I looked like. Like he, yeah. So almost died there. There's there's been a 
I'd say a handful of storms where I shouldn't have made it back. <laughs> you know, they just, they, they end up showing up on the Pacific between you and land and you got to get home. So there's no way where around it. Um, yeah. So a lot of those stories. Do you think that maybe caught, made you a thrill seeker in a way to kind of like continue on after those kind of game? Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Because I didn't realize it until somebody else recognized it. Like there'd be a storm, and we're heading out in the morning, and I'm just going about my day, and the customers are like, "What are we doing? We we can just go tomorrow." And I'm, what you know? Let's let's go. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I I would say that. Yeah, and then that definitely uh, that definitely gave me the confidence to go to these other places. You know, Tra- train harder than the real thing. You know, so. With traveling all over the world, did it kind of take a hit on your personal life where this was now becoming your personal life where you're all about enjoying what you want to enjoy? You don't have to worry about what things are at home, family, friends. Did they ever worry about where you were going and things like that? Uh, Family did, but they were more, it wasn't more worried. They were happy I was doing it because I loved it. And then as far as life and all that, that, that was life. So that's the way I looked at it. Yeah. So with, how did you really create a brand out of fishing or kind of that kind of outdoors activity aspect? Uh, my, my, my nickname was Mr. Trigger. Um, I called the boat Mr. Trigger. Um, I think, um, I think with social media, I got down to Costa Rica and like, uh, the first time I went down there was about 2005 and I worked for somebody else. And I think, when did Facebook and all that come out? What, maybe eight or nine? Maybe I think early? so, yeah. A little earlier than that? Because I hit it like I I hit I was already there when it happened. So I think I think that's what got the word out and built the brand because nobody had that. You know what I mean? And I was already on there and I jumped right on it. I was real lucky. I was living with a bunch of guys from Germany that uh, were building an MLS uh real estate. Uh, page or listing for Costa Rica. So they were very tacky. So they're the ones that turned me on to Facebook and built the profile. And uh, the kind of the funny thing is we're in 2000, let's just say it's 2007 when it came out. Uh, the the iPhone was introduced to Costa Rica. <laughs> so they were, yeah, they were way behind. Um, so uh, we had an iPhone. So, you know, you take the pictures on the iPhone or the little webcam and you bring them back and you upload them to your computer and you put them on Facebook. And I, I just absolutely love that. So I would say that's what, that's what got the brand really going. Cause I wasn't an offshore fisherman back home. Like I, we were saying in the beginning, you know, I did the inshore snook, redfish, trout and blah, blah, blah. So yeah. Putting the personality and the passion of it with the aspect of uh, the social media and being able to show those kind of fish and then, you know, and in in, even in the beginning, the algorithm was putting people together. So like people back home got my page and they're like, oh, my God, what is he doing? You know, they didn't even know I was over there. I didn't have any way to tell them. You mm-hmm. know? And all of a sudden I do. So, yeah. Over the years from that beginning time with the branding and really putting content out there, how has that taught or what did you learn about yourself through that? Did it teach you a skill that you didn't learn at first or you didn't have in you and you kind of learned on your own? Um, all of it. <laughs> um, yeah. I, mean, I became, I became an electrician. I became a diesel mechanic. 
I I learned when I was broke, I learned how to be a waiter. I learned how to be a bartender. I I learned another language. I learned how to do my taxes in another country in another language. I had to meet with lawyers and do boat paperwork and get licenses. Uh, I mean, the whole aspect, I had to do everything myself. You know, you you move to another country, you know, as I, I don't want to go racial, but as the, the white guy in a Central America, there there's not too many people, you know, looking to put their hand out, you know what I mean, to help you. You're considered the higher wage or richer, you know, person in another country. Uh, you definitely have to earn some respect. And I was the opposite. I mean, I was completely broke. I lived in a $250 apartment um, and it was in it was literally in somebody else's house. I had to walk through their living room to get to the front door. So it was like, yeah. So I lived above a restaurant. Um, it got busy. Um yeah, I mean, the, the whole aspect of just living and I, you know, I just earned their respect and I still have really good friends down there that I, I could go down there and stay in their house. It's been since I left Costa Rica in about 2012 when I moved to Panama. So, yeah, th- 2013. Yep. Give me one second. We're all good. We're all good. With fishing and you talked about how you took over the family business. What was the biggest thing that you wanted to take from that opportunity? That it's kind of you're going from one thing to the next, a new opportunity to the next opportunity, taking over the family business. What was your main goal when it came to that? Well, in the beginning, it was pretty daunting. I mean, you're going, you're going from your passion of fishing to I mean, let's put it this way. I mean, it's mostly women's fashion and jewelry, you know? Hmm. Um, so that was a big hit. But I think the confidence side of doing everything on your own down in Central America, it was like moving home and getting an established 40-year-old business. It was like, ah, I got this. Now, yeah. it's it's not easy, but I'd been around it my whole life too. I mean, when you have somebody passionate like my mom and dad running it, like I was fishing, you you hear about it all the time. You don't think about it. It's like almost subconscious, you know? I mean, at the dinner table in the morning, I mean, that's what they talked about. So when I got into it, it was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I've heard that before, you know? And then definitely being proud to take over the family business. Yeah. You talked about prior to this conversation about the charity fund that you are a part of. Talk about how did that come about? Um, which one? The Spike Canine Fund? The Spike, Spike Canine Fund, yes. Yeah, um, that was that was much later, like the paragraph said. I mean, that was just recent. Um, that was with uh Instagram. That was uh just I I wanted to run that big race. And you know, when you do something like that, I wanted to have a purpose of just not the mental overcoming of it. So mm-hmm. that way, and then I was big into canines and I had uh, read their story and all that. And the guy, Jimmy Hatch, he was a Navy SEAL and he lost his dog in action. And I just love what it stood for. And I knew it was a hundred percent, you know, legit, you know, company, nonprofit, they travel all over. And I thought it was really cool, their concept. So what they do is they, um, they're basically like a scholarship fund for dogs. So if you have like a, say you have a really small town and all of a sudden it has like a huge 
gang and drug problem, okay? Well, these dogs, to have them trained and fully vested and the the canine handler behind that dog ready to go and train, it's about $10,000 a dog. Mm-hmm. So if some little small town somewhere in the middle of nowhere needs 10 dogs, there's a hundred grand. Well, that that town's government doesn't have it in their budget. Yep. So what they do is they basically, I don't know exactly how it works, but they kind of apply with Spike Canine Fund. And Spike Canine Fund funds them with everything. They'll even do the training. Uh, they do the medical training. They they even, sometimes I think they even provide dogs. So they basically outfit a canine unit for a police force. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then I was already a big uh, canine guy. So uh, I wanted to run for them. Um uh, I, my goal was to raise $5,000 because it was about, it's about five grand to fully outfit a dog. And then all the training ends up being about 10 grand, but I ended up raising about 3,700, I think it was. So, yeah. And then I ran the race and uh, just recently, actually, uh, let me look at my phone. It was like two days ago. They invited me as their special guest at one of their big training seminars. So that was pretty cool. And I'm going to go up there at the end of July as like their featured guest. That was pretty cool. So I'm looking forward to it. That's awesome. You talked about yeah. racing and raising money for it. What kind of races were you doing? Uh, ultra marathons. Um, so I ran, uh, I'm not really a runner. I do it just to better my life. So I did a 50 by myself and failed at 45. I passed out on the side of the road and woke up the next oh. morning. Yeah. Um, I tried to attempt, a, I tried to win a hundred mile as my second race, which is pretty stupid. Um, I gassed out at about 75 miles and I was in first place until I got lost. Didn't look at my map. Went the wrong way. Yep. Um, And then I had a terrible hamstring cramp, and I just walked off the track at 75 miles. Um, And then all of a sudden, I I take a year off, and I run a 240-mile run. So for everybody listening, it's a lot of mental. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you fail two little ones, and then you run a 240. So (laughs) And I finished the 240. So. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine doing that 240 miles, but from you saying that doing like failing at the small ones and being able to do the bigger ones that, I mean, that's just an accomplishment itself because you had the grit, the determination. And plus you were part of it. The journey was doing it for a good cause and yeah. getting awareness out there. So you knew that you were doing it for not just yourself, but you're doing it for others also. Right. Yeah, that was definitely uh, a huge part of the motivation. Um, Another big part of the motivation was I was actually signed up in 2021 when I ran the 50 and the 100 in 2021. And then I didn't up running the Moab, and I'm a huge competitor. That just ate me alive that I didn't go do it. And then so 2022, it was on, and I ran it in October. So just, what, eight months ago? Yeah. Something on your profile when we were connecting to do this interview, you talked about an accident that you went through. Can you talk about how challenging that was for you, the car accident? Oh, yeah, that was um, that was interesting. That's what, you know, we were just uh, previously, we were talking about Costa Rica and all that. That's what got all that going. So in 2005, I had a buddy. <clears throat> um, he uh, moved down to Costa Rica. I want to say he moved down in 2004. And uh, he owned a restaurant called Soli Mar and uh, Mari Soul, sorry. And um, ah, just ran that 14 miles. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, literally. I mean, I just, yeah, I just sat down from it. Um, anyways, so uh, 2000, 2004, he moved down there. He started a restaurant, wanted to have a little charter business out of the restaurant because he could book clients, uh, called me up, um, you know, fishing in Central America. I wasn't going to pass that up. I moved down there. I helped him get it going for about a year, fell in love with it. That was my first time down there. Um, went home, uh, didn't really have much going on because it was kind of a gap in my life. You know, you go from 2003, losing my father, and then 2005, getting to go to Costa Rica after that, and then just going home. It's kind of like a, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. So I was just working at the shop, Coffin Jewelers, and um, got into a, uh, with a buddy drinking, you know, I was the passenger, got into a uh, really nasty car wreck, uh, ended up uh, breaking a hip and having back surgery. Yeah, I got thrown out of the car, um, just, you know, being an idiot, um, got on some oxys, ended up sitting home for about eight months, just absolutely doing nothing, you know, the kind of kind of the downward spiral of the woe is me, everybody owes me, blah, 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 I'm hurt, you know, kind of thing. And then all of a sudden I woke up one day and um, had my mother buy me a dry erase board and a couple notebooks. And I began to put the charter business together. Um, from that car wreck, I got an insurance check and that's when I bought my first boat. And, and then I went back down there and it, it changed my life. Wow. Uh, yep. And now I'm and now I'm running ultra marathons with a broken hip and back surgery. So oh yeah. So do you feel if someone that's listening to this interview that's gone through an accident like that, what would you tell them to get out there? Don't let it stop you. Don't let it keep you from what you want to do. What kind of advice would you tell them to go into that kind of aspect where you use it as a way to kind of build the next chapter in your life? I would say if you're laying around like I was and you're doing that, there's always something in the back of your head that you want to do. Like you, for instance, I don't know what you were doing before the podcast, but you obviously wanted to do a podcast or you wouldn't have done it for three years. You know, there's something in the back of your head that you want to do. I would just say in the beginning, just start writing it down, you know, pretend like it's a business, pretend like you're already successful in it. If you're already sitting home doing nothing, you can't lose. You know, mm -hmm. buy a notebook and start putting the business down on it. Write down, oh, what are, what would it cost to do this? What would it cost to do that? You know, what what do I have to do to do that? And all of a sudden, you'll have a notebook full, and you're on notebook number two. Um, per, per, uh, you know, after that, you know, uh, if you want to go have a beer, instead of going to have the beer, write down more, you know. Um, get somebody else involved. Give them the notebooks. Find, you know, somebody – there's always somebody out there willing to read your stuff, you know, yep. uh, even if you don't think there is there, there is, even if it's a stranger. I mean, like I said, I wrote, uh, I didn't know anybody from those magazines that I wrote eight articles to. I just emailed them. I literally went to the bottom corner of the back of the magazine where their info is and just emailed them the whole, the whole thing, copy and paste, boom, from word onto there. Didn't care what the spelling was, you know, and you just, uh, I would say, once you find that thing in the back of your head, bring it to the front of your head and just do something on it every day. You know, if you're sitting home drinking and you're one of those people that has a 12 pack a day and feel sorry for themselves, take 15 minutes out of that, set the beer down and write something about it. And before you know, you got a book. There you go. Yeah. 
That's I think that's the biggest thing. Bring that bring that little tiny desire to the front the front vortex. Yeah. Out of all the opportunities you've had, is there a kind of a fun question? Is there something that is on your the horizon that you want to do next? Like a, another opportunity, another career opportunity, something that you're like, I've always wanted to do this, but I haven't done it yet. Uh, I'm I'm working on that right now. I am training my canine to go to a- Africa, Zimbabwe to be specific, um, to uh, the places called the Wildlife Initiative Trust Africa and uh, their private land. And what's happening is poachers are going on to private land and then they're getting onto the national parks and the national parks are guarded, but nobody protects private land. And there's, you know, there's huge private land reserves over there, you know, that people pay big money to be on, but they have no protection. So I'm going over there with my own canine um, and we're going to, uh, we're going to hunt poachers. We're going to, we're going to track them down and uh, protect rhinos and elephants and lions and, and all of that. I'm trying to do that in 2024 like we were talking about earlier, canines are a big passion of mine. I'm, I'm starting a new business called Mana's Canine Nutrition Market. Mana is my dog, kind of like the rock. You know, he's always talking about the mana. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of, that's, I mean, that's not kind of, that's where I got the name from for, for the dog. Um, he's a German shepherd and I found them on Instagram as well. And we started talking and now we're in talks every day and I don't know exactly when, but if I get a level six certification in tracking, uh, I'm going to go over to Zimbabwe and take another two week course. And if that pans out and everything works out to where, you know, fingers crossed and all the T's are crossed and all that, I'm sure there's a ton of paperwork for me to go over there and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll probably be over there for about 90 days doing that. And I'm one of the first people ever to go over and volunteer to do that. Um, so hopefully it opens another door to, you know, who knows it may it may be a gateway to help um, ex-military. You know, they have that experience and I don't. Um, if they know canine handling and stuff, maybe they can go over there and, and take it a, a step further. Um, the crazy thing about that is I am a hunter. I'm a, I'm a bow hunter. So, but hunting is conservation. You know, if if I don't protect the animals, wh- what am I going to hunt? You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going out there with a machine gun and trying to kill every rhino. I I go out. I, I pay my licenses and I go out West and I try to get one out for my friends and family. Um, I just can't imagine the thought of like, say uh, you're probably younger than me, you or I telling our kids that we can only see rhinos in books, you know, mm-hmm. that's the dinosaurs. And they were 250 million years ago. Rhinos are right now, but imagine telling somebody that, yeah, yeah we used to have those. Um, I just look at it as not on my watch kind of thing, you know? So I'm really looking to do that. We're we're training hard in 2024. I maybe 2025. I'd love to get back on your podcast and that'd be the yeah. session that I went and did that. So that's that's the new preneur right now. Mana's Mana's Market, Coffin Jewelers just moved locations and and going over there with the wildlife initiative. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? I would say back to what you were talking about just a little bit ago, and and I answered, uh, write it down. You know, write down your challenges, check them off. You know, oh, I can't run a mile. Go run a half mile. Go run three quarters of a mile. 
by the end of the week, you're at a mile. You didn't run it in a day. You didn't run a six-minute mile. But guess what? This week, you ran a mile. I yeah. would say write down write down your challenges. Start checking them off. You know, start with the hardest. It makes the others easy, you know? Well, Jason, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people, and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed it. Tune in next time here. My next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel through the full length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.